Hello, I'm Sarah Pollock and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today we ask, what does Omicron mean for Ireland? And can our economy cope with another variant? The World Health Organization moved quickly last Friday when it declared that the recently discovered B11529 strain of COVID-19 was a variant of concern. Skipping on a few letters from Delta in the Greek alphabet, the WHO has named this new variant Omicron. The emergence of the highly mutated Omicron variant underlines just how perilous and precarious our situation is As more cases of Omicron are detected around the world, countries have started imposing travel bans on South Africa, where the new variant was first spotted. Scientists have expressed concerns about how quickly Omicron is transmitted, the severity of the disease and the effectiveness of vaccines against it. But it could be several weeks before we have a clear picture of how contagious and serious this variant really is. Uh, We believe this virus is highly infectious. Uh, We need to get more data to confirm this, but it seems to be much more infectious than Delta, which of course is problematic. And we also believe that it's already present in most countries. There have been no confirmed cases of the Omicron variant here in Ireland yet. But at this point, it's a question of when we start seeing cases, not if. We have identified several cases which haven't been confirmed as the variant but which exhibit characteristics of it, this so-called S-gene dropout. So I think it is likely that in the coming days um, at least some of them will be confirmed as the, as the variant. Jack Horgan-Jones is a political reporter with the Irish Times. Jack, how has the Irish government reacted to news of the Omicron variant? Is there a sense of complete panic or are people still waiting to see what the scientists find out about this latest variant before moving forward? I think complete panic would be overstating it, but that's not to suggest that there is anything other than deep and profound concern at the prospect of this new variant arriving into the country with the twin threat of it being both more transmissible and possibly exhibiting some degree of vaccine escape or vaccines being less effective that would present a a significant challenge to the country. I think that they are slightly heartened, might be too strong, but there are things that are working in our favour at this time around that weren't certainly when Alpha came around this time last year and when Delta came during the summer in that we seem to have quite an early warning. We don't have any cases as of yet. So there is a sense that we can sort of get our ducks in a row in in good time this time around. And then the other thing that's working in our favour as well is that this is now the third quite serious variant of concern that stands a good chance of becoming the dominant strain in Ireland. So this is the third time that we've gone through this. So there is a kind of a playbook to follow to a greater or lesser extent, which involves in the first instance, trying to limit the opportunities for importation and then also to limit the the, the chances for the new variant to spread within the country once it's here, all the while accepting that if the projections about how the new variant transmits turn out to hold true, that there is an inevitability about it coming here and then becoming dominant. It's just a matter of time and more importantly, a matter of buying time. Jack, the cabinet met yesterday morning to discuss the implications of this Omicron variant and the recent surge in cases. What were the main takeaways from the meeting? Are we facing more restrictions? 
So I think it's important to break it into two bundles. First of all, there's the Omicron changes. And then secondly, there's a bunch of other changes, mostly relating to children, which were advised and effectively agreed last week before Omicron kind of loomed large onto the radar screen. So we'll take the Omicron ones first, and uh, they more or less relate to the, the, the kind of two strategies that that I mentioned beforehand. The first of them being to try and kind of limit the opportunities for importation, as was the case Last year with Alpha, action kind of preceded any kind of full cabinet meeting in the first instance. So last Friday, we had this list of seven Southern African countries published. We aligned ourselves with the EU emergency break mechanism, uh, which means that you suspend your direct flights and change your travel advice. We don't have any direct flights, so we just change our travel advice. And we also introduced new obligations on people arriving in with a travel history associated with those countries. Namely, you had to get a clear PCR test before arriving into the state and you have to self-isolate at home for 10 days after arriving and also take two PCR tests. So that's the kind of highest level of stringency that was introduced last Friday. And since then, over the weekend, a kind of subgroup of Nefesh has been meeting and discussing with the political system what other measures might also be put in place. And that was kind of decided right Sunday into Monday and went to cabinet. And it's a step down from those measures that apply to the seven Southern African countries, but it's more broad strokes. It actually will end up applying to everyone coming into the state and effectively what it means that regardless of vaccination status everyone is going to need a clear covid test result before they come into the country either an antigen test which you can get up to 48 hours prior to departure or a pcr test which you can get up to 72 hours prior to departure so that's the omicron new novel variant set of restrictions which don't really affect you day to day unless you're actually planning to leave the country or planning to come into the state which obviously is more of a thing at this time of year with christmas approaching so put that to one side you then have the 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 kind of pre Omicron Delta wave related restrictions, which were advised by NEFET last week. The reason that these particular set of restrictions are targeting children is because that is where the largest force of infection is located associated with Delta at the moment within the largest unvaccinated cohort of the population, which is children. And what NEFET effectively advised is that a lot of the mask wearing measures that applied to kids 13 and older be brought down to children aged nine and older. So that's wearing masks in public transport, retail, that kind of thing, and also in a school setting from third class above. So they'll all be put in place. And perhaps less expected and in some ways trickier and more controversial is this idea of a, of a, a lockdown localised to children, a two-week circuit breaker, which would expect effectively for the parents of kids to curtail their social activities, not to be going to indoor parties, to uh, panto to other things that would involve them mixing with other large numbers of children in an effort to kind of limit the opportunities for transmission of Delta, cut down the disease reservoir, cut down that force of infection until those children can be vaccinated and perhaps more importantly, until the larger population has a chance to get a booster administered across the winter months. Firstly, Jack, on travel, I've already seen some negative reaction to the requirement for testing before travelling. Not that it's been introduced, but that the proposal for antigen testing at least 48 hours before travel isn't strong enough and that the 72-hour window for PCR tests before travel, that it's too long. What have we heard from the critics of these measures? 
so, I mean, the criticisms are, are valid insofar as, you know, antigen tests we know aren't as, aren't as sensitive as, as PCR tests, uh, PCR tests themselves. There's a 72 hour window where you can be circulating widely and freely in whatever jurisdiction that you want to, that you, te- that you may be in before departing for Ireland. And you can pick up the virus then, you know, and still arrive into the country with a, with a clear PCR test. And, and I think the fact of the matter is that nothing is going to stop Omicron coming into Ireland, but measures can limit the opportunities or, or you know, narrow the gap through which it has to come. And, and that's the idea. We now are moving from a position whereby we had, you know, open access based on vaccination with the implicit acceptance that quite a few cases of plain vanilla delta would come through associated with that but really what was what was the difference because we're swimming in delta here already to a situation where we're now trying to actually catch infected people coming coming into to the greatest extent possible because you don't want new infections coming in not because it's new infections of COVID because we already have a lot of COVID in the country, but because it's new infections of this variant of concern. There is every chance that it will slow things down. It won't stop it. But at the moment, it's about it's about buying time and trying to, to limit those opportunities in the short term. What about hotel quarantine? Isn't that coming back for certain arrivals from different countries? Probably, actually, but not necessarily. Around uh, six or eight weeks ago, a, a lifetime in COVID time, just around the time that we all thought it was it was over, <laughs> and we allowed the legislation enabling mandatory hotel quarantine to lapse at the end of October uh, in the hope nay expectation that uh, it wouldn't be needed again. So what the cabinet did was took a decision to pass enabling legislation again so that the hotel quarantine system could be stood up if needed. But there is no mandatory hotel quarantine system in place. There is no mandatory hotel obligation on anyone arriving into the state at the moment. It's a mandatory home quarantine just for people arriving from those seven countries as of now, which will probably be expanded as Omicron becomes more prevalent in other parts of the world. There is an open question as to whether mandatory hotel quarantine will be expanded. In some ways, I would be surprised because... The thing is already in Europe and we already had an enormous diplomatic bun fight once this year over the introduction of European countries onto uh, our mandatory hotel quarantine list. So I'm not sure that there's an appetite for a a second iteration of that uh, within government. What I wouldn't be surprised to see is perhaps some form of MHQ for people who arrive into the country without a clear PCR antigen test or something like that, or without a clear PCR test. If you're coming from one of the countries on the mandated list, then perhaps you'd be sent to a hotel. But do I see it being reestablished on the scale that it was during spring? I suspect not. What about this localised child lockdown, this onus on parents effectively to cut down on play dates and trips to the pantomime and other activities that children would normally be doing in the run up to Christmas? What has been the reaction to that so far? I think it's been mixed. I think that there's, as always, a, a thick seam of frustration amongst parents who, on the one hand, are being advised not to do certain things, but then there's no kind of hard and fast set of rules around it. And indeed, Cabinet uh, yesterday agreed to make all this advisory. Uh, there's certainly no kind of penal provision or any regulation or mm-hmm. guideline or anything. It's just, it, it's effectively public health advice with the imprimatur of, of government attached to it. Um, and that obviously leads one camp of people to 
end up being quite frustrated because they don't know what they can and can't do. Um, I think in, in the round, though, uh, I would imagine most people will take the, the messaging on board. And in fact, since the middle of, um, of this month, when there has been enhanced public health messaging about cutting down your contacts, that seems to have been something that people have taken on board. So I would imagine that people will take this on board in turn and limit social mixing between their kids. What about the wider implications on, we mentioned pantomimes, but also uh, theatres, gigs, when it comes to everyone who are seeing the numbers that were due to attend events in the run-up to Christmas dropping quite a lot. What is being said about that in government and are there supports on the way for them? So it's a tricky one. So there are carve-outs for cinemas and and theatres and all the rest of it and they're, they're seen as controlled settings. And they're not closed. And I think that's something that is is a kind of step change between the phase of the pandemic that we're currently in and previous phases of the pandemic, which have been characterized by, you know, sectoral closures. There's very little actually closed at the moment, but nonetheless, because people are changing their behavior, businesses, restaurants, theaters, cinemas are probably seeing a little bit less business. I was talking to some people in government about this today because obviously the financial supports or more specifically the COVID restriction support scheme is triggered by your business being closed by the government in response to the disease threat. So it's not a well-designed scheme if your business is not closed, but you're experiencing a significant drop off in revenue and your balance sheet is suffering as a, as a, as a result of that. I'm not picking up any indications at the moment that they're going to change that preemptively. But this Thursday, Neffet have another meeting to try and decide Christmas policy. And I wouldn't be surprised if, again, not going as far as sectoral closures, something around curbing or curtailing capacities was to be introduced. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, an illustrative figure only, they were to say 50% capacity in restaurants and theatres. That could provide a hook to change perhaps the COVID restriction support scheme and say, okay, because we've limited capacity, we're going to reintroduce payments on a certain level. And you can kind of engineer a sliding scale that's harder to do at the moment because it's that little bit more loose and ephemeral and hard to tell exactly who's being impacted in what way and how you might design a support to help those people out. With these latest measures that have emerged from the cabinet meeting on Tuesday, Jack, does it seem that the government might have deviated from Neffet's advice in any way or are they just tweaking medical advice here? I think it's more in the realm of tweaking. We've seen substantial deviations from Neffet advice, most noticeably this time last year around Christmas policy uh, before. I don't think we were seeing anything in that realm. One departure is that Neffet apparently advised that PCR tests only be considered for, for the new travel policies, whereas the government has, has said both antigen and PCR tests. And I think that the Neffet letter that went across around children socialising perhaps carried a little more uh, weight or, or suggested that the government take a little heavier hand in terms of enforcing that two-week lockdown than ultimately the cabinet decided yesterday, which was to make it purely advisory. But I don't think we're in the realm of really yawning gaps between what the public health chiefs have advised and, and what the government has done. Just for a quick reminder, where are we at the moment with case numbers and hospitalizations? Are they leveling out? Are they rising in certain areas? Are things getting any better? 
Things seem to be improving, albeit at a slow rate and coming down from an extraordinarily high peak. I think the numbers in hospital are somewhere north of 500. Case numbers are stuck at between three and a half and 5,000 a day. And the numbers in ICU, I think, are somewhere north of one of 100. And all of those kind of declining slowly, but not precipitously, which is encouraging in some ways because it suggests that perhaps uh, we are at or have already experienced the peak of the Delta wave of infection that caused um, such a sense of alarm to spread through the health service, the hospital system and into the political system in the middle of this month. To take a slightly more pessimistic look, I was talking to Killian de Gaskin on, on Sunday and he made the point that on every metric, notwithstanding the helpful effect of vaccinations, but on every metric, we are worse off than we were at this time last year heading into Christmas. We have more people in hospital, we have more people in intensive care, and we have a greater force of infection to deal with. Meanwhile, all those constant, usually they're not risks, usually they're, they're pleasant things, but all those risks that are now associated with Christmas of greater travel, greater socialization and greater intergenerational mixing are coming down the tracks at us like a train. And on top of that, you have the further complicating and confounding factor of trying to limit the importation and spread of Omicron. And what happens if that fails or what happens if and when Omicron does become established here and if it is if found to cause more serious disease or exhibit any degree of vaccine escape. It makes for a remarkably complex, a remarkably volatile position heading into a very tricky time of the year and presents a really complicated challenge for government, for NAFIT, for the health system and, and also for people who are trying to navigate what used to be fairly uncomplicated, apart from maybe family feuds around the Christmas table, time of the year safely. Coming up... Can the Irish economy weather another COVID-19 variant? On Tuesday, the CEO of COVID vaccine maker Moderna scared everyone with a warning about the new variant Omicron. Stefan Bansell told Britain's Financial Times that current vaccines were not likely to be as effective against it. Stefan Bansell said that Moderna would start working on a vaccine designed to be more effective against Omicron, but that the development would take several months. In the financial markets, his comments created fear. European stocks fell around 1.5% in early trade after the comments. The pan-European stock 600 dropped to its lowest level in almost seven weeks. So far, the impact of the pandemic on the economy has been uneven. Some sectors have been hit hard, while others have thrived. But could a new variant and a prolonged pandemic change the economic equation yet again? Cliff Taylor writes about the economy for the Irish Times. Cliff, first of all, could you recap for us briefly how Ireland's economy has been holding up over the past two years and since the pandemic began? I suppose up to a few days ago, you would have hoped that we would have got this wave under control and that heading into next year, with some more collateral damage, obviously, and unfortunately for the sectors involved, but heading into next year, we would be looking at a better picture, albeit one where I think we've all learned that, you know, this thing is not going to go away quickly. Now we've this new variant, which we don't really know that much about uh, yet, and it's hard to kind of assess its, its implications. But clearly that casts another question mark, I suppose, over not only the extent to which restrictions will remain in place next year, but what consumers are going to do. I mean, one of the interesting things we've seen over the last few weeks, I suppose, before Omicron came along at all, was that because people were getting nervous again, Christmas parties were being cancelled, uh, restaurants are being cancelled. And that feeling that we had maybe six or seven months ago when, you know, 
six, seven weeks ago, rather, when Neffet were telling us that maybe, you know, this has been suppressed and that we're out of the worst of it, you know, that that feeling has, has, has turned around and nervousness has come back. And obviously, Omicron is going to is going to add to that now heading into next year and, and create more uncertainties, unfortunately. I mean, as you mentioned, we, we still don't know a lot about this Omicron strain. We don't know how dangerous it is or how transmissible it might be. And hopefully that information will, will come out over the next few days and weeks. But one thing is sure, the, the pandemic, which we had hoped and prayed, was drawing to a close. It's far from over. Looking further now into next year and the following years, if we are going to continue to live with these mutated variants, what's, what's your read on all that? I remember reading when the pandemic broke, or maybe a, a few months after it broke, saying that uh, you know this is going to be with us for a while, and it could be kind of I think he used the phrase fizzling out in the autumn of 2021, and it kind of stuck in my head, and it seemed terribly worrying and uh, a long way off at the time, but now I, I had thought maybe over the summer that perhaps it was realistic. Now, you know, are we going to see a fizzling out at all, or are we just going to gradually see? I suppose what we might hope for is a gradual ratcheting down in kind of the crisis phase of the pandemic. Uh, perhaps that's the best we could hope for next year in that we're clearly going to see other, you know, other other waves of infection, uh, particularly in as, as the winter goes on. Uh, who knows what this variant is going to bring? And it does cast kind of a particular uncertainty over some sectors. I mean, notably travel, I suppose, heading into 2022. You would hope that, you know, maybe by January or February, we, we might again feel some kind of a solid ground underneath our feet if this variant doesn't bring the, doesn't bring the worst news, you know, that the, that, that, uh, the vaccines aren't effective or whatever. Uh, and that perhaps, you know, we'd be looking for more boosters towards the, the middle or end of next year for the population and that we just gradually get on top of this. Um, but it does look like a longer haul. And, and the fact that it's a longer haul means that the impacts on confidence, the impacts of investment are, are, are going to continue in those sectors that have been hit. Um, so, you know, you would have concerns for, 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 for the entertainment sector, the restaurant sector, the hotel sector, um, any sector relying on travel. Um, you might have hoped, for example, that uh, long haul travel would be back to some extent next year. That the American tourists will be back in, you know, in the streets of Dublin and in Killarney, uh, and I know there were some came this year, but 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 a, but a fraction really. Um, so the question now is, you know, are we looking at twenty twenty three for the revival of that, uh, or, or can we hope that this kind of starts to fizzle down moving moving through next year? Earlier this week, the CEO of Moderna was quoted in an interview where he said current vaccines were likely to be less effective against Omicron. And he also mentioned that experts he'd spoken with had previously believed it would take another year or two for such a highly mutated variant to emerge. If that's correct, and it turns out that the virus is mutating a lot faster than we expected and so is potentially able to outrun vaccines, what does that mean for the economy? Yeah, well, that's the that's the nightmare scenario, I guess. I saw Imer Cook from the European Medicines Agency coming out as well, with maybe a slightly more optimistic take. So I guess we'd have to we just have to wait and see. But if the vaccines are largely ineffective against this variant, then we are kind of maybe not quite back to square one, but we're you know we're back to a, to a, to a really difficult situation and to uh, much more significant questions about you know what what measures are going to be needed now to um, to keep the virus under control and obviously. That was why the markets took a huge fall when this when this broke initially on Friday because uh, the worst case scenario is is pretty pessimistic, all right. But I think we just have to realise that we're not there yet, and hope that the two vaccines plus the booster that people are going to get now, 
you know, maybe they're not going to offer us the 90% protection that we had hoped would be the case. Um, but hopefully it will still be it will still be at a very high level. But there is a lot at stake for sure as the scientists do their work over the next few weeks. And if it does turn out that this variant is is serious, number one, and number two, can escape the vaccines. Number three is the transmissibility, and it already seems that it is it is kind of highly transmissible. Well, then, if the three answers are in the wrong direction, then it does uh, pose big questions for the economies everywhere in the next the next year. And you're going to see stock markets take another tumble and confidence take another hit, unfortunately. But let's not hope it gets to that. And Cliff, can we look for a minute at the uh, sector of live events? As you've referenced, it's definitely be one of the hardest hit during COVID, along with travel and hospitality. The government has recently been taking a few small steps to suppress the spread of COVID, but it also feels like they're kind of leaving the entertainment industry out to dry by telling them that they can go on with their shows, but simultaneously advising audiences to stay away. And some promoters have suggested that they're doing this to avoid paying more financial support to the sector. What's your read on that? Yeah, I think it's very difficult for those sectors. I mean, I think someone in the, uh, I think it was in the restaurant sector, used the phrase closure by stealth. It may not quite be that, uh, but you're right. And even looking at the advice that's coming out about pantomimes and stuff, uh, you know, maybe maybe you can go, but maybe you shouldn't go if your kids have been doing something else that week. I think that's very difficult for the sector. I suspect that the reality is those sectors are going to need support and I think they should they should get support because when the public health advice is to people not for people not to go or to be very careful in going I don't think the government can pull the rug from under those sectors completely so it really does make it difficult I mean what what had been planned was a gradual phasing out of supports which I think was was reasonable on 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 the time scale that we had been looking at or on the situation that we had been looking at before this came along and in fairness to the government, I suppose they're waiting to see what the read is on this variant. And, and maybe it won't be as bad. And maybe the live event sector, after a bit of a kind of a hiatus over, over Christmas and in January, will be able to kind of look forward to a better 22, 22. But we just don't know yet. And I think that is one of the sectors that's really going to need minding next year. What about all the government spending over the past two years to support people and the industries you've mentioned, which have been badly affected by lockdown, lockdowns? Are we able to afford much more of this pandemic support and where is it coming from? Yeah, we're borrowing the money. I mean, to give a short answer, we've been able to do it because the ECB and the other world central banks have gone on this extraordinary uh, binge of printing money, basically, which has meant the government can borrow it virtually nothing. Of course, the money has to be repaid in time or refinanced on the markets. And, and there are uncertainties about when you come to refinance money in five or 10 years time, okay, you borrowed it at 0%. But when you have to refinance it in five or eight years time, what will you be borrowing at then? Nobody really knows. There is kind of speculation that the central banks are so stuck in this now that they really can't reverse out to a great extent that the interest rates won't go up that much. But really, nobody uh, nobody knows about that. We're in a reasonable situation in terms of the amount, we, amount we're borrowing. Uh, so we had expected to borrow about 20 billion this year. It looks more likely now that it'll be 10 or 11 billion. So we have a, a bit of spare catch this year in terms of where we expected we'd be and a bit heading, I guess, into next year. And I think there are probably some buffers in the in the finances for next year. There's money being set aside in contingency funds. There'll be the impact of, you know, the rollover of, of borrowing being less this year. Probably the corporation tax gift will keep on giving for at least one more year or a couple more years. So, so I think we've got a bit a bit of short term leeway, but the longer term is is a little worrying. That the level of our national debt is now very high; it's heading towards two hundred and fifty billion, and it just does leave us a bit exposed with a bit less leeway, I suppose you might say, 
if some other crisis were to hit us in the next few years. So, yeah, we can afford it at the moment. Uh, yes, it was the right thing to do. Um, yes, it has paid off pretty spectacularly, I suppose, in terms of the way the economy has performed. But there is going to be, I think, a big debate now moving into next year about what supports are maintained for what sectors. That's all for today. You can read more from Jack Horgan-Jones and Cliff Taylor on the spread of the Omicron variant and its implications for the Irish economy at irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.